Hello and welcome to St. Paul's United Methodist Church's Sermon Podcast. I'm Pastor Mike Agnew and it's good to have you listening to our sermons. Uh, We're continuing today our series of sermons for the summer in which we are looking at the different letters of the Apostle Paul. Now, Paul, as you know, if you've been listening to these podcasts, you know that he is one of the most influential people in Christian history, second perhaps only to Jesus. And I say perhaps because that's just how strong his influence is and has been. He wrote most of the letters that are in the New Testament, or at least most of them are attributed to him. And he's written some of the most inspiring writings and some of the most controversial writings in history. And we don't shy away from those, but we deal with them as we come across them. We just spend one week on each letter, so we're not getting too deep into any one verse, but we're looking at the overarching themes and main ideas of these letters. And as we do, I want to remind you that this sermon series is called Reading Other People's Mail because that's actually what we're doing. We are reading letters that were not written to us. Excuse me. They were written to certain churches in certain times, for very specific reasons. Now, God can speak to us through these letters, but that just means we need to do our homework. We can't just assume that there's a one-to-one correlation between what Paul wrote and what uh, what it means for us today. There's not; It's not as simple as the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. There's m- much more to it than that. So we just keep that in mind as we go through these letters. So today we're looking at the letter of the Philippians, or to the Philippians. Now, like Ephesians before it, it's it's a very positive letter. Ephesians started really positive, and Philippians does too, except the thing that's different about Philippians is it stays positive. I mean, it's just a really positive letter. So it's written by Paul and Timothy. You know, usually we think of these letters as being just written by Paul, but at least this one is written by both of them. You see, in ancient days, letter writing was a little different than it is today. Today, letter writing is more of a private, personal activity. It only takes one of us to write it, to get it ready, and to mail it. But in Paul's day, usually, if somebody was going to write a letter, there'd be at least two people. There'd be the person who wants to write the letter, and the person who actually writes the letter. You see, so oftentimes, the author of the letter would say what he wants to say, and then the scribe would write down what he's going to say. So there's usually at least another person involved. In addition to that, so in this case, if it's Paul and Timothy, there were probably three people involved. Then you need a fourth person, unless the person who writes it down can do it, but otherwise you need a fourth person to carry the letter to the people that it's going to. And then the letter needs to be read out loud to the people, because most people in those days couldn't read or write and certainly not both. And so letter writing was a very communal activity, not only the reading of it, but also the composition of it. So it's written by Paul and Timothy. And he starts off, as I said, very positive, thanking God for them in their prayers. He's writing in prison, which is interesting, but you know, he says that being in prison is actually a good thing because he's able to be a good witness to those around him in prison. Yet he still hopes for his eventual freedom, you know, but he knows he's he's not sure. He's he's pretty confident that he'll be released through their prayers. 
But then he goes and he writes about the dilemma of whether it's better to be alive or to be with God. And so, obviously, he wasn't sure that he was going to be released. So he's, he's written about this before, this dilemma of living or dying, something that those of us who live in comfort and luxury have trouble understanding, right? Of course, we'd rather live than die, right? But when you are oppressed, when you are persecuted, when you are dealing with all kinds of hardships, the answer is not always so easy. Except for Paul, the reason he doesn't want to die is that he can keep serving the Lord. But if he dies, he's with the Lord. You know, so, so both are good. But what he comes down to is he says, whether he lives or dies, he hopes that people can see Christ in him. Right? If he, if he lives, he can serve Christ and they can see Christ in him. If he dies, they can see Christ in his life. And, you know, either way, that Christ would be in him and that that would be evident to people. So a good question to ask here is to say, or to ask, do people see Christ in you? Do people see Christ in you? The best way for that to happen is to follow Jesus' teachings in the Gospels. You know, you can focus on any of the Gospels, but the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7 is a good place to start. Because people will see Christ in you when you follow his example. Paul goes on, he continues to encourage the Philippian people to endure in the midst of persecution. You know, in the ancient times, there were different stages of persecution, depending on who was in charge. So sometimes persecution was really bad. Sometimes it wasn't so bad, and it was pretty tolerant. But, you know, they had evidently faced persecution, so he encourages them to continue on persevering in the faith as they have been. Then chapter 2 has the focus on the humility of Christ. Chapter 2, 1 through 11 in particular, you know, he says that, that we should live with humility, considering others as better than ourselves, and to have the same attitude as Christ, who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but humble himself be, by becoming a servant. And then he humbles himself even further by dying on the cross. You can read it for yourself. It's Philippians 2, 1 through 11. But, but that's the gist of it, is that Paul is saying that that we should be like Jesus. And, you know, that's just what we were saying earlier. But in addition to following his teachings, another way to be like Jesus is to be submissive, to serve, to serve other people rather than to think that the goal of life is to be served ourselves. So, so you know, we think of Jesus washing his disciples' feet, for instance. And then when he got done, he says, just as I have done, you are to do to others. You should wash other people's feet. And of course, he's not just talking about washing people's feet, right? But he's talking about how just as I have served you, so you should serve others, right? You are a servant, just as I am a servant, right? So when we become like Jesus, one of the things we find ourselves doing is we, we find ourselves serving others. We want to consider others as better than ourselves, that's hard to do, isn't it? That's hard to do even in our finest moments. But what would the world be like if we all did that? Well, it'd be a pretty good world. It'd be different than it is today. Wouldn't be perfect, I'm sure, but it'd make a positive impact for sure. All right, so Paul continues on. And he says he'll send Timothy to them. He really highly favors Timothy. He says, I have no one like him. 
And Timothy is going to go visit them. He's also going to send another person we've never heard of named Epaphroditus. Now, Epaphroditus, we don't know anything about him except that Paul says he was deathly sick, but he is recovered. And so this just reminds us that in the scriptures, there are so many more church leaders and people involved in that first century than what we know about from scripture, because their names might not be mentioned. You're lucky if your name gets mentioned and you get a sentence or two. But there are have got to be numerous leaders who were not even mentioned in the scriptures, so we have completely forgotten about them. But in their lifetime, they did some very significant things. Now, later in the Bible, actually a couple of times in the scriptures, in this letter in particular, Paul says to be glad in the Lord. What's that mean? Well, to be glad in the Lord, we're not sure exactly, but he goes on and he says, don't be anxious about anything, but bring your request to God in prayer when you're anxious. Oh, if only that worked. If only prayer was the cure for anxiety. Those who struggle with anxiety know that that's not true. It works for some, but it doesn't work for everyone. And so if it doesn't work for you, if praying to God does not make you less anxious, then this verse could be misinterpreted in a harmful way to make you think that something's wrong with your faith or your prayers, when in actuality, sometimes we just struggle with anxiety and there isn't a simple answer or pious answer. But in another sense, what Paul is saying is true. When we are concerned or anxious, we should go to God in prayer, and we can have a sense of peace that surpasses understanding. But notice, Paul never actually says that you won't be anxious anymore, <laughs> but he says that we can receive a peace. So Paul says to be glad to, in God, to pray when anxious, and says he's learned, get this, Paul says he has learned the art of being content in any circumstance, whether in plenty or in want. Wow, that's quite a statement. Now, Paul's not a perfect man by any means, but this is the mark of a person who's been through a lot of stuff and has gained perspective. I mean, this is a much different Paul than the one who persecuted the church. This level of faith can only come with a lot of time spent with the Lord. And I believe him. I believe he believes he's found the art of contentment. I mean, after all, he's writing this from prison. You see, contentment is something that is fostered. You know, in addition to spending time in our spiritual disciplines, contentment can grow when we choose to focus on certain things. You know, in the scripture says, whatever is noble, peaceful, holy, etc., think on these things. Right? We need to think on, on, on things that lead to contentment rather than things that lead to discontentment. For, for instance, think about, focus on things that you have rather than what you don't have. Focus on the blessings rather than the hardships. Focus on the positive rather than the negative. No doubt, Paul went through a lot of inner work to get to this point in his life. But he had no idea what he would deal with. Right? Or I should say he had no idea what we would deal with. I mean, Paul would never conceive of a 24-7 news cycle whose ratings are built on gaining viewership by scaring people. You know, we can now know almost every bad thing happens in the world as it happens. We can know about it. That's too much for us to take in. No wonder we're anxious and, and fearful and worried. And that's not the only reason why somebody might be anxious or fearful or worried. But for a lot of people, it can sow the seed. 
Paul would have never imagined a materialistic economy whose very life and health is dependent upon people being discontent and feeling that they need to buy more stuff. Contentment is hard, maybe even harder today than it was then. Contentment is not going to come, though, by immersing yourself in all this stuff, the 24-7 news cycle, the materialistic economy. If you focus all of your attention on these things, you will not find contentment. We have to choose to move our attention to things of God, to positive stories. It's not a cure-all, but it's a start. Now, as we continue on, we can't get through a letter of Paul, it seems, without some mention of those who teach that Gentiles should follow the Jewish law. That was the controversy of the church century, and it shows up here too. In in his letter, he calls these, te- in, in some places he calls them false teacher teachers. Today, in this letter, he just calls them dogs, which, if, if we're honest, let's just be honest and say that's not very Christ-like behavior to call people names especially dog. It doesn't help with the unity that he so badly desires. But anyway, he continues on. He says uh, in chapter 3, verses 5 through 9, he gives his resume. He says, I'm just as good as these other people. I was a Pharisee. I grew up. I was zealous for the law. I had a wonderful teacher. And he talks about all these things in his resume. And then he says, you know what? These things are a loss. They're worth nothing compared with knowing Christ. Wow, that's a good message. It helps put things in perspective, including our priorities and what we spend our time and money on. Then later, he says basically to strive ahead towards the prize. These are my own words here. Strive ahead towards the prize. Uh, You know, he he says that we should grow in our faith, spiritual endurance, Growing in our faith is important. We don't want to stay where we are, but we want to continue to learn and grow. You know, again, going back to what I said about contentment and focusing on certain things. That's a wonderful thing to focus on. Growing in our faith, becoming more Christ-like. You know, he said that our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. Now, That doesn't mean that we want to be so focused about heaven that we are no earthly good, but we also don't want to be so enveloped in the world that it chokes out our faith. You know, we can be involved in the things of this world, like institutions and politics, but if our true citizenship is in heaven, that means our allegiance to Christ should be higher than our allegiance to anything else in the world. The need to give up control and to serve others leads to contentment. How? Well, we focus on serving others as Jesus washed to the disciples' feet. We imitate his teachings that others may see Christ in us. And when we're anxious, we go to God in prayer, cultivating contentment by focusing on noble things rather than on what the world wants us to focus on. When we do these things, we will grow in faith as he encourages them to do. Because remember, your primary citizenship is not in this world. We do not primarily belong to any one nation, but we belong to God. Amen. God bless and have a great week.